Welcome to Decision Space, the only podcast that takes place between the turns of your favorite games. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. And today we are here for episode two of Paul and Jake talk about their random plays. Oh yeah. When uh, Brendan is away. So I guess just a little bit of housekeeping. We should first start off by congratulating Brendan on the birth of his baby. Uh, Sounds like baby mother are healthy and doing well uh, and that they're just really happy. So super exciting. Brendan, congratulations. Uh, And, you know, I know that we are all wishing you the very best on this journey. Fabulous. Big step. Yeah. Uh, The bad news is that Brendan is understandably not here today. Uh, And, you know, he might be on a little bit of paternity leave from the podcast for a while, but uh, I think he's going to still try and do maybe next week, but then maybe he'll be off for a week. And I'm going to try and bring in some guests and do some fun stuff to fill time when he's not here, such as having Paul here today to talk about some new hotness. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about Onk. Mm-hmm. We're going to Played talk about last night. We're going to talk about snakes. Yep. Uh, and, and maybe some other stuff as well. Uh, in the, I've already got scheduled two other exciting guests. Two of the best kickball players in Ooh. the entire world yeah. are going to be, we're going to be recording, I'm going to be recording with them in, next week. So we're going to talk about the decisions in kickball. Excited. So that's something exciting to look that's forward cool. to. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, but, Paul, how are you doing? Dude, I'm pretty good. I'm a little tired right now. Stayed up last night a little bit too late uh, with some friends playing board games. Um, that's been a problem of mine. Historically, I stay up too late playing games. This is only like a 1, one o'clock, one thirty deal. But uh, so I'm a little tired. But outside of that, feeling good. Happy to be here. And I'm... You know, I'm proud of Decision Space that you guys updated your benefits. You do have, like, a paternity leave at this point. That's, I think, healthy and important. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, we don't pay our right. employees at all, um, but we have, like, really fantastic benefits. It's essentially like an unlimited, unpaid family leave. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Infinite vacation time. That's it's awesome. kind of just, that's something we offer to all that's staff. Great. And it's, all, it's like work from home. It's very modern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And I mean, so... Hopefully other people listening can take notes, try mm-hmm. to do a little bit better in yep. their corporate yep. dealings. Exactly. Uh, but that's not really what we're here to talk about. Not we're really. here to talk about board games. So I was thinking, let's maybe talk first about Snakes, because mm-hmm. that's the one we both played together. And the last time I was here, we were talking about Phil Walker-Harding, and this is one of his many 2021 releases. In fact, one of his several Target-exclusive releases. Summer Camp from Buffalo Games is Target exclusive. Snakes from Big Potato Games, Target exclusive. And now the Tetris Strategy game, which I just picked up, also Target exclusive from Buffalo Games. But yeah, Snakes is, for those that don't know, a pretty boiled down um, deduction game, social deduction game, trivia game for four to eight players. And briefly, the way that it works, uh, you have a stack of cards and you, everybody will have a secret role. Basically, half the people are going to be good and half the people are going to be snakes. Don't let them charm you. And you'll read off a question, a uh, multiple choice trivia question, and then cl- everybody closes their eyes for five seconds, flip it over, the snakes get to see the answer. Then you have two minutes of discussion, and then at the end, you're going to vote. Snakes get a point for everyone that gets it wrong. 
All the other people get points for everybody that gets it right. Six rounds of that, see who wins. So it's it's a pretty fascinating little game. I had a just off the top, I had a lot of fun playing yeah. it. Um, it was great for kind of like before the game night started. We yeah, had, it was an awesome. What do we have? Like eight people. Yeah, something like that standing around. So we tried it, tried it out. You taught it, and we played it in fifteen minutes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the really interesting things about snakes is that there is a time limited yeah. discussion of when you're doing the clues. So that's like you only have two minutes to mm-hmm. come up with an answer, whatever you're going to vote for. But that's also the time you have to sort of suss out who might be snakes among you. So it's really tight. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of discussion can really happen there. And I just think that's a really interesting dynamic in the mm-hmm. game compared to something like The Resistance or Secret Hitler where you can really talk as long as you want and try and, you know, grill somebody yeah. and boil down who might be the traitor. Yeah, Deception has, I, I think, a really interesting time-length thing, which is that the forensic scientist who's, like, the person kind of that can't talk and is facilitating, they have unlimited time and they call the shot of when a round ends. So you can do a lot with that, right? You can just insist that people keep talking as a way to signal, like, you don't have it. You know, maybe that's, I don't know. People don't tend to do that, I guess. Um, the other point of comparison was where words, which I think is like four minutes of um, similar stuff. And in that game, when you have somebody that knows the word and needs it to be guessed, then as that time starts to run out, their, their strategy changes. They try to lean in towards that. Um, something I really liked about this game is it's six rounds that are really fast, like you said, maybe 15 minutes total for the game. And... You have basically a 50-50 shot of being a snake or, you know, a normal person or whatever it's called. There's also the mongoose of truth who's, you know, everybody knows they want people to get it right. They sort of reveal themselves. But those those will change throughout the game. You, you might play a snake four times and a normal person twice or whatever. I thought that was cool. Yeah, it is, it is cool being able to switch roles back and forth, I think. You know, it's very likely that you'll get the chance to play both roles at least once. Yeah. Though we did find in in just one initial play, um, and, and, you know, who knows, maybe this Mm -hmm. game will have a meta that changes the dynamic as you play more, but it did seem like the snakes were doing very well in the game, and and the person who was on the snakes team the most ended up kind of running away with the game. I think that um, mathematically, all things being equal... The snake will get a point for each guess that is two of the three possibilities. Right. And it, the other people have to hit the one that is correct. So it makes some sense that snakes have a natural advantage when no one maybe knows anything. Uh, speaking of knowing things, it's a trivia game. And the right. questions were typically about, like, I don't know, what would you say, like, well, some of the questions were really old stuff, like Lassie was in there. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, it was, you know, what is the TV show that has the most episodes ever? And we, we were kind of coming down to, like, is it Law and Order or right. Lassie? Right. And I think, you know, I for whatever reason, I just threw Lassie in there, and that ended yeah. up being right. Right. Save, save one point for us. But, yeah, if, if you don't know the answer and nobody on the good team has, exactly. like, a reasonable hunch. Yeah. You're kind of going, you know, the snakes can just let you hang the, yourselves, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's what I found on the time when I was a snake. The 
good team yeah. or whatever was immediately going down the wrong path. Yeah. Which and is, that's fine because, of course, it's more likely, right? So yeah. there's so many possibilities that there are those three, but the two of those are wrong. So it's more likely they're going to be going that way and you just sort of let it happen and speak towards it. It's kind of interesting, though, to like play that role. Yeah. Like I still found it like an interesting dynamic because you still want to... You know, don't you? You could mess it up, and I feel like there, yeah. there were all there was a different time in the game when I said something, uh, and then somebody came like really strong against what I was saying, and I instantly knew that that person must be a snake, right? Which I think that was the lassie one, and that like uh-huh. moved me in. Yeah, I was like, okay, well, I know I'm not a snake. Why are they saying so strongly this other yeah. thing? Yeah, if if. If they didn't know for sure, so there, you know there is interesting stuff happening there. Yeah, there was some social like social deduction gameplay where you know the thing that came up a lot was we kind of go around the table and say you know what are you leaning towards, and if something came up that like seven out of the eight of us yeah. were really gunning for a, we knew that that was probably wrong because half the people would want us to get it wrong. Right. And so I feel like even as you go around the table. Any strategy of person could lie about that to try to get a read off of other people. Or, you know, if the snakes, when they have their eyes closed, all kind of mouth to each other, let's all actually get them to say the right one, then they might, you know, double back on it and go, no, that can't be right and guess something else. You yeah. Know? And I think, I do think that speaks well of the game. Like in any good uh, social deduction game, right, there could be an evolving meta. Because sure. that was something, you know, all of us playing the first time right. started realizing we're like something's wrong here if yeah. four or if five or more people said the same thing because yeah. one of them must know that's wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, so like you're saying, if in, in a future play, if I was a snake and people were going down the right answer, I'd maybe start strongly advocating totally. for that too. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. yeah, it was it was fun, and I I do like I do think that um, the mashup of trivia and social yeah. deduction it's good. It works surprisingly it, well. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm curious to see what it'll be like. I will probably play this the most with students in my classroom, which will typically be like ninth graders, let's say. And you know, if we had a question about Law and Order. Lassie and something else, they might just have no point of context, but still a certain chunk of them would know the answer. And so you can read off of that level of interest too, you know? Right. Yeah. I, and I'm wondering if they'll enjoy it or not. I think that's the, the ultimate challenge that's going to rub some people wrong. Like, yeah. uh, if you don't like trivia at all, if just the typical thing about trivia sure. frustrates you about like knowing the answer or not knowing mm-hmm. the answer like that's still present here yeah it's still there you know the person who knows more answers than other people is gonna have a better shot at somebody who knows less yeah that said i'm typically i am kind of one of those people trivia is really a big thing here yeah. in st louis yep. there's all kinds of trivia as like fundraisers a lot of big bar trivia mm-hmm. culture uh, and I, you know, so I've done it a lot and I get like frustrated by that because I'm like, this isn't a very interesting game. Sure. It's like, I know the answer <laughs> or I don't. Yeah, that's like right. Somebody needs to gamify this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, that's still there. And I probably knew one answer. Mm-hmm. I, there, I think there was in the whole game out of the six, there was one that I had like a reasonably good hunch on. Yeah. Um, and I still had a good time with it. Yeah, Totally. I think as we played it towards the end, I was a little underwhelmed being such a lover of Phil Walker Harding and maybe expecting a ton. 
because as we played it, I didn't feel like I could do a lot. But in hindsight, I'm thinking about a lot more opportunities to play it and, and what that could be like. And just, you know, playing as a snake, maybe just saying you know the answer at the start. She's like, I, I definitely know it's this. And just kind of writing that as hard as you can, which nobody did ever, basically, in our Because they didn't need to. Like, right. the person who won was a snake almost every time and said almost nothing. But even we the people that wrong. were trying to get it right never knew enough to just say, no, I know that it's Right, this. right, right. They, a lot of people said, well, you know, there's a lot of episodes of Law and Order. But nobody was like, no, I know. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. That'd be tough, though. Yeah. You know, you'd be like, oh, I, I don't, you guys, I'm like a huge film, movie, yeah. TV show buff, and I know for sure Lassie had 816 exactly. episodes. That was an insane number. I don't know that I would was. believe you. <laughs> it was crazy. Uh, uh, the, the, the thing that's going to keep it in the collection, as opposed to something like Werewords, which I think is really similar in its like quick playing. Um, two points of difference. One, Werewords Deluxe or whatever can accommodate like, I don't know, 12 players, maybe more, which is great for me having a classroom of kids. But the teach on snakes is dead simple. Like it is so simple to explain and play. And that's a huge thing. I think that it's very rare in this hobby to find games that are good and have that quick of a teach. Yeah. I think my kind of final takeaway with it, which I would happily play it again. I don't know that I'm going to rush out and buy it from my local Target. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I think it was really interesting that intrigues me moving forward is just doing social deduction in such a short time. Yeah. Um, because I, I would like to... I think this game might be interesting with, like, what would it be like if you extended that time or just mm-hmm. didn't play with the time limit sure. to see... I mean, which you could easily do. Yeah. Um, because it did feel like quite a few times, like I, we were starting to like figure out who might be in mm-hmm. what role, which is important to know. But then you know, even accusing somebody, so I think you're a person because of this, this, and this, and everybody's like, okay, great. So we have ten seconds yeah, to exactly. make our guess now. <laughs> so that doesn't really help us get to the answer. Yeah. Um, but it was also the time I also kind of forced everyone to make their own internal assessments right. about who was a snake and who wasn't. Yeah. Uh, which I feel like is cool in other ways just from social deduction because a lot of times uh, a game like The Resistance mm-hmm. or Secret Hitler can kind of be dominated by the loudest personalities. Definitely. Like the people who are like willing to like yell Definitely. and talk the most. Yeah. Uh, so it's cool in that sense that like people were able and kind of forced to make those internal reflections. Yeah. And again that comes down to those shifting roles too because it's you don't have to commit to a lie for a 30 minute game. You know like you would in, in something like Resistance. Um, you just do it for two minutes and then you might switch off and nobody can really carry anything over from round to round. Yeah. So that'd be an interesting experiment too. Do this game with no time limit. Maybe do my next game resistance. Be yeah. like, all right, pick the team. All right, we've got 60 seconds. Yeah. Everyone has to have their vote in. I yeah, I, that would be interesting I do too. like uh, timers and games. I always use a chess clock for code names and I wouldn't want to play it without. You know, each team has a certain... You run out of five minutes for your team for all the pondering and touching and everything, you just lose. That is really fascinating. Yeah. Because it could be like a, 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 a sand timer. Yeah, but I've never played Almost with it. no explanation. I've never seen anybody use the sand timer no. in the game. I think the, the formal like explanation is if, if you feel like it's taking a long time, <laughs> right. give it a flip. And then, then they're on the clock for a minute. Which is... That's such a horrible rule. Because that's just like... 
Yeah, if you want to be a big dick about it, exactly. you could just like force the other team to play faster. For a minute, but yeah. that'd be pretty lame of you is basically what it's saying. Yeah, exactly. And and even if you if you get to that point, and I've played Codenames games where it's like people are taking five, ten minute turns Tell, just to sit and think. And think it's like about the fun. clues, yeah. And then you flip the thing over, you still have to wait a minute. That's like crazy. So, anyway. Perhaps we should shift gears to some new hotness. Let's do it. All right. So, um, cool mini or not, Simon, come on. Whatever you like to call them. Uh, Ankh has just come out for my backers arriving now. And this is, for those that may not know, the third in this, like, God trilogy from Eric Lang, which includes Blood Rage, then Rising Sun, and now Ankh set in ancient Egypt. And you have, basically, gods with incredible minis. It's one of these incredible mini games. Uh... Battling for dominance over the monuments of Egypt, essentially. And I played it last night. It only took us about two hours, two and a half with learning, which I feel like is a pretty good time for what it was. Um, and I had so, so many thoughts. So the I won't really be able to give an overview, but I'll tell you some of the interesting things. The first one set up the end of the game which was one of the most engaging ends to uh, this style of game. I played three players, and essentially there's a time track that you move up along this time, and various events happen where you might take control of a monument, or there might be battles, and you're trying to score majorities in monument types, or somebody might separate the land into separate territories. But at some point, after maybe the third big conflict event, the two lowest performing gods merge and become a super god. Like sort of like an Amun Ray type situation. And uh, and that, that's set up for any game that's three players or more. And you're you basically there's a points track which is devotion and the two bottom on this devotion track join powers and they get combined god powers plus uh, some of the other stuff that you had built up. But it, it made it that we had these incredibly huge comeback turns so that the, right at the end of the game felt super-duper tense of who was going to win. I mean, it felt like we were blowing off massive combos, um, but we did end up losing. So that part of it was really satisfying. So, like, you play as a god. Yeah, so... If, so, so two players are now teaming up against correct. the person that's in first correct. place. That's really fascinating, because yeah. I was... As soon as you said you played with three, yeah. my first thought was like, well, that's like incredibly fraught for this kind of like mm-hmm. fighty territory control game. Yeah, right. Um, and it's most, you know, what I thought was really cool is that you put these pieces out on the board and they stick around a lot. And they, like I said, there's only, I think in the whole game that we played five rounds of combat. And in each round of combat, you go through all the different areas, a lot like Rising Sun, if you've played that. Have you played any of these games? I've played Blood Rage, okay. but not Rising Sun. And so Blood Rage, the, you know, it has the drafting, obviously, but then the main action mechanism of that game is the rage. Rage, right. right? So you have this rage economy that you're trying to upgrade, and it works. <clears throat> um, in Rising Sun, the action economy is like you're drafting actions from the stack. Um, but in uh, Ankh, the action... Wouldn't even be called an action economy, really. There's four actions, and they each have a track. And on your turn, most of the time, you pick an action and perform that action and slide the thing up the track. 
And then you can do another action that's below that. So if you do the high one, then you get a lot of options. If you do the bottom one, that's the only one you can do. Okay. Okay? When those things, and the actions are like, move your figures around the board. Uh, put a new figure on the board. Um, get some followers, which is kind of like the resource in the game. But it's cool thematic ties to that. Maybe basically, if you want to spend them, you like sacrifice your followers, which is kind of crazy. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, the bottom one is unlock Ankh powers. Come back to that. Um, but as these get to the end of their tracks, these little action markers get to the end of the tracks, whoever's the person that puts it on the last space triggers that timeline to move forward. And whatever it moves forward, they're the person that gets to do it. So you really want to be the person that triggers that little, you know, event or whatever. Oh, gotcha. So you're playing a little bit of chicken. I don't want to set you up to be the guy to go there. Um, but that that was super cool. The, uh, the, yeah, so the combat system is kind of borrowed from Rising Sun a little bit and a little bit of Blood Rage. It's like a mixture where you have strength. Most of your pieces on the board are one strength. And everybody plays a card. You have the same set of like eight cards that give you an option on that turn. And there are things like a little bit, you know, like Loki strat. Maybe your, your guys die, you get a point for everybody that dies. Or you get a follower for everybody that's in a green space and they can't die. Or whatever. Mm -hmm. All these kinds of things. And one of them, which I thought was really interesting, is the plague. You play a plague card and then before the battle resolves you bid followers and you sacrifice as many followers as you want. Whoever sacrifices the most, if there is somebody that has sacrificed more than everybody else, they get to keep their pieces and everybody else's pieces are removed. And so you can kind of have this like totally alternate battle that's like economic based that sometimes happens. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Um, the thing that I guess intrigues me about it the most is is that you mentioned you felt like there are strong catch-up mechanisms and like that you were coming back in because I'm not the biggest fan of Blood Rage. Mm -hmm. I, I owned it. I probably played it five or six times mm -hmm. and I had a good time with it. But the reason it ultimately left my collection was just because it felt like in most of the games, somebody would snowball pretty hard mm -hmm. and kind of like run away with it by the half or, or two-thirds through the game. Yeah. Um, because... You know, as you're describing, well, it sounds like in this, there's kind of two phases to the combat, right? There's the fighting and then this economic thing that mm -hmm. might matter, might not. Where yeah. in Blood Rage, it's all one, right? right? The winning person gets the reward and wipes everyone else. Correct. Um, Correct. Which makes it, you know, pretty zero sum. Yeah. And, and in that, in, in Blood Rage, you really, your whole game builds a strategy of, you know, Blend, basically like I'm doing the Loki strat that was right. the one that like got you know kind of oh it's owning the meta or whatever and players are playing around that where you're trying to get pieces on the board and you're trying to kill them to get points and that's that's a thing um, but that only builds in one direction whereas these cards that you play in uh, Ankh they're kind of like situational strategies and so you might set yourself up to do something in one part of the battle that you wouldn't even think about doing in another piece of the battle. And those cards will stay out on the board until you play one to pick them up. That's what I was going to ask next. Yeah. So those are all cards that everyone has the same. So exactly. you can kind of you know, use that as decision-making. Like, yeah. I know this person's already played their Loki card, exactly. for lack of a better term. Yeah. So I'm not worried about that. I can just go ahead and wipe them out now. Yep. 
And my my so each of the gods naturally in a in a Simon game is going to have its own sculpt, its own you know warrior sculpts and stuff. That all that stuff is insane and amazing. All the all the components were incredible on this Kickstarter edition. Though. Everything was crazy. Uh, some of the best minis I've ever seen. I don't really care about minis like yeah. at all, but these were insane. Um, but my, each each god has a power, which um, I'll just tell you what they were. So my power, well, I think I was Horus, because that's yellow, is uh, that I had these two little eyes, the eyes of Horus, and before the conflict began, I could put those out in some regions. And when it came to those regions for battle, I could say a card, and then no one could use that card in that round. That's sweet. So, but that included me. Right. So um, I could a little bit dictate like the, how the flow of that was going to go. Um, another person was Bastet, I guess, and he had these three little cats that he could put out on temples, and the cats had either a plus one, a plus three, or a star on their base, and that was basically they added combat strength to those regions. But if a player wanted on their turn, they could like. I don't know if it was killing cats or whatever, but they could attack these Pretty cats, hardcore. I guess. And they could remove them, but if they removed the one that had a star, then the piece that did the attacking died. So there was like a little risk-reward type right. thing, and it was just a little chaos of the thing. And then the third player, um, I can't remember who they were, but their power was that if a, if a character died, they could take them onto their board, and it would increase the power of their god. So sometimes his god was like three strength instead of one. The other big part of this, and, and that was like one of the minor levels of where the game varies from play to play, was that you'll have different mixes of gods or whatever. Then every board has these Ankh powers, which are separated in, there's like four rows and six columns. And as I said, the, there's an action, which is unlock Ankh powers. You pay some followers to take one of your pieces and slot it into this board. And... What was both interesting and not interesting is that the powers are the same on every god board. Mm -hmm. It's the same set of however many that is, 24 god powers. And you basically get, or maybe it's only 12 or something, but you only get two out of each of the four. There's kind of like a, a first chunk and a second chunk and a third chunk. And you get two of the first four and two of those four and two of those. And... They do cool stuff. So that's where you're going to unlock some of those like long-term strategies that we talked about. These are well. powers that like kind of will be unique to you in the game. But yeah, you'll, you'll have them for your pieces or your god or your temples cool. or whatever. So like throughout the game, you're kind of like building a different... Exactly. You could do like a different character right. build like you'd find in a video Correct. game almost. But you have the same powers and could do the same build. If you want. If you want, right? Um so those powers were pretty cool. Like the the first ones, um, kind of upgrade your your income engine a little bit. Like when you get followers, get an extra follower, or if you win a battle, get three points instead of one. Stuff like that. Um, the second level really interacted with your monuments. There's temples, um, whatever that's called. I was going to say basilisk. That's not right. Obelisk. Obelisk. Thank you. Yeah, it's not right. <laughs> There's a lot of snakes in the game, but that's not it. And then um, pyramids and they're, for the most part, they're indistinguishable in the game until you get to upgrading this level 2 on powers. Because I had a power where every time I summoned figures, which normally you get one figure, I could put an additional figure next to every pyramid that I controlled. So that was kind of like the way my strategy was going, was that I could um, just like spam the board with all these guys. Um, 
There's another one that was based on obelisks where uh, he could basically, when a battle starts in a region, summon figures to the obelisk if he controlled it in that area. So if he had an obelisk all over the board, we could fight in level one, in, in area one. And then in area two, if he had an obelisk, he could bring his figures over there, fight with those. And then if they were still around, go to keep pulling them around. So there's like huge teleporting armies. Old teleport army yeah. strat. Super cool. Yeah. And then there's obviously there's one for temples where and, and so we each did a different um, uh, monument basically. The other player, his temples gave him additional strength in each area if he had a piece next to it. So that kind of thing is just cool. You know, yeah. it just kind of like started to shape those. And give you a direction. And then the third level was where the catch-up mechanism started to come. So, I, I, me and the other player who we, we you know, we fused, two became one, we uh, were both pretty behind. And there are, like, the in the level three, the things are, like, uh, the two that I unlocked were, if you lose a battle with two or more figures, you gain two points. Which is, I think it's called devotion. Um, so, that's that's awesome. Because then I could start throwing things. And since I had this, like, spamming power to right. put more figures out, I could start losing. And then the other one that I unlocked is if I um, uh, if I gained devotion, I also gained another one. And so it was a little... Some of the rules were a little bit unclear, which is pretty common in these CMON things. We have a ton of power interaction. I'm sure the fact will get built yeah, out over get, the next few weeks. Get. But so in the in the last several rounds, I had just a ton of points from that because we would go to love, we would go to the first area and I would get a point because I had the most pyramids, so I'd really get two points from my from my bonus. And then we'd have a battle there and I'd win, and so I'd get another point and then another point. We'd go to the next region and I would I would lose, but I had two figures, so now I got two and a bonus. Yeah, and that was a ton of points. I would say probably two thirds of the points came in the last you know, two battles, basically, which was cool. Did you find that the game slowed down in that last round? Then? Um, like, things, you know, I, I feel like a lot, to, to be clear with my question, I feel like a lot of these games with scaling powers, it feels like, you know, the first right. three quarters of the game and the last quarter of the game are roughly equivalent in terms yeah. of the time. I, I did, you know, it, it did slow down in terms of gameplay pace, especially yeah. when... Two of us had to kind of strategize together. That's a different dynamic. But on the timeline track, there's a much shorter length of time between those happening. You know, so it, it, it felt... It was actually one of the most exciting things I've played in an area control game where we got to that last phase. And, like, and they even give you, like, this cool little, like, uh, podium, basically, that you put the mini on top of. So he's, like, super huge. <laughs> Made it seem so cool. But uh, <clears throat> really, like... Even though it probably took, I don't know, 15% longer, maybe 20% longer. Not a huge bump. It just felt awesome. Yeah. It was really exciting. We were having a ton of fun. And the guy that was not merged was, like, frustrated, thought he was going to lose so bad, and then he won. Like, this everything is, was this is rigged. Yeah, How could I possibly yeah, win two on one? Yeah. Very cool. That's, that sounds sounds like a, a ton of fun. Um, so if you... Sounds like you'd play it again. Give For it sure. Game. And would you... Do you think there's room to explore more, like, if you took the same build again? Like, like, or, um, or is it more like if, if, if you played again, you would try and do... I mean, I guess you might choose to try and do something different. But if you went the same build, do you think there right. would be room to explore there? 
Well, yeah, obviously, if you're playing, you know, one of these games, it's super strategic in that build, but also tactical in mm-hmm. the positioning of the things, and there's a million different considerations. There's also, like, once a, ten- once a monument is claimed, you can't necessarily go back and take it away. You have to get all the unclaimed monuments before you can do that, and that can be difficult. So the game pulls you in directions regardless of that. It is interesting that it, it does reward you for going for a single thing. Like, it wants you to do temples like, or pyramids. Yeah, or I'm the obelisk guy. Yeah, I think I think so, which surprised me that there wasn't anything that was, um, you know, if you have one of each. The generalist. Yeah, right. Like, I had a that's power... In the, that's in the uh, planned expansion. I'm sure. The, many of them. I'm sure there were many. Um, I had a power which was like, if you have three of the same monument type, then your god is three power instead of one. But I... Was really surprised when I read that. I thought for sure it would be a variety, mm-hmm. but it was not. Yeah. So I don't know. That's. Um, it is. I, I thought that the the you know not replayability, but the variability in the game was a little lower than I expected. Um, you have obviously the god powers, but those pretty much only impacted the conflict phase. Mm-hmm. So they happened five. Maybe, I guess it could be more, but not. Not most of the turns, essentially. Um, the only other part I didn't mention is that as you unlock your Ankh powers, three times when that happens, you're going to get a monster. I don't know what they're called. And those have crazy powers. God, yeah. And those are, there's like a ton of those. And then there's a ton of sculpts for those, of course. And those are cool. Yeah. Like, you know, we had a mummy out. And if the mummy died, they just respawned by your god. And so they never left. And that was cool. Um, we had. This like crocodile guy who could go in the water spaces, and if he moved in the water and finished next to somebody, he could just kill them. So that was pretty. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. You just gobble them from the water, and then the last power was like, instead of moving a piece, you could you could like remove it from the board and get three followers. So I don't know. There's probably that's where a lot of the variability comes in the game, but to me, it still felt like maybe not that much. Yeah, that, that's interesting, um, and I think. Just comparing to, to my reference point of Blood Rage, right? Uh, the draft phase yeah. is going to... In Blood Rage, there's almost infinite variability because like right. the draft can go differently every time. And like maybe more importantly, like even if you wanted to do something, right. you might not be able to. Yeah, because the person okay. right next to you is trying to get the same strategy going yeah. as you. Whereas, you know, so so that does seem like a big divergence mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, well, I just like going for the pyramids. So yeah. I'm like always going to do that. And, I, you know, we started out with a with a monument as well. And I don't know if the rules told us to do it. Probably, there, there are like a ton of setups. So there's a three-player setup in there probably. Tells us probably to have different monuments. And so we're just naturally going to go for different ones. Right. Right. There's nothing that's going to... But if you're playing a four-player or a five-player game, those conflict dynamics are force, different. It would force. Yeah. Right. Or even with two players where it's like you have... Maybe I'm this guy and you're that guy, but now we can also go fight over the third one. Yeah. That would be different. Well, that's... Uh, I mean, it sounds really interesting. Uh, I, I would play it if given the chance. I'm yeah. not. It's not like these kind of like dudes on a map yeah. game troops on a map game i guess sure. i should say are, are not traditionally like my go-to yeah um because i guess in the past i feel like a lot of i mentioned the snowballing but also because player interaction is so core yeah and things are not necessarily 
transparent, right, in terms of, like, who's winning, mm-hmm. what kind of things you should be going for. Sure. I've found myself in the past getting frustrated by things like, why are you attacking me? Mm-hmm. Like, Joe over here is obviously in first place. Like, you should be doing that. Yep. And they attack me, and we both lose a bunch of stuff. And then Joe, who was already in yeah. first place, then, like, runs away with the game. Yeah. Um, did you feel like that was present there, or, or were there elements of, like... Did you? How clear was it? Like who was in the lead? So there is this devotion track, which is the points track, and um, you know there was a clear leader throughout. And so I think we had a pretty good sense that um, friend Tommy was like charging up that thing. And it, what was interesting was in the, in the conflict phase right before the two gods merged. That was in our mind, right? Where it was like, here's what's going to happen. Whoever has the lower devotion point. Uh, that's where we're going to go with our points, but we're going to use the, the like, build of oh, the higher cool. guy. That's an interesting little yeah. thing. So, like, we used my Ankh power build, which was kind of good because we had all these pyramids set up. And it was I had a lot more board presence than him, but all of his temples and obelisks and pyramids and figures and all his god, everything came off the board. So it was a kind of a big reset, and as we played that last little chunk... We definitely had in our mind, like, who's the leader and how should we kind of prepare to become allies? The thing I, yeah, and the thing I like about that, too, is you, in some of these games, like, optimal play, yeah. you might be inclined to, like, I'm just going to end it for this person. Like, <laughs> they're in a bad position. Right. I can make take this move and wipe them off completely or you know like or or even they might just be incidental collateral in blood rage right like yep. sorry that you yeah. just happen to be there with like the last remaining of force yeah. i'm not trying to go for you yeah but but i need this point <laughs> i need this reward or whatever you have to and you're collateral and yeah. i don't care where in this right maybe you would think twice because like well if i make it impossible for them yeah. to get any more devotion like that could potentially come yeah. back to like bite me yeah. later in the game. That's yeah. pretty cool. And there were like moments where he and I were kind of thinking like, well, which of us wants to win this one? Right. You know? Like at, yeah, at a certain point, you just realize like, oh, we're actually teammates yeah. even like before that yeah. happened. Now I will say, that's cool. in a game like this, you have obviously all these power interactions and triggers that you have to pay attention to. And we may have like really messed up the game missing some things. Sure. Like I said, with all those devotion combos on my Ankh track, or my Ankh powers or whatever, I think there was like another five to seven points I should have gotten in the last conflict, and maybe the other two players should have merged. But we didn't realize that until oh. after we'd already done all right. the... We'd like <laughs> slashed the board to pieces, so it wasn't... But it didn't matter, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, it was still cool. And one other mechanism that was both really exciting and probably some people really not like is that the devotion track has an end, and if you reach the end, you just win. And that's how our game ended. Huh. We were really like right on top of each other, points-wise, hanging out, and then um, Tommy had this power where he, whenever he got devotion, he could pay two followers to get more devotion. And so he did that right at the end to win. Had we played one of our plague cards, maybe we could have removed some of his followers through that kind of like, you know, essentially forcing him to sacrifice that. But we kind of held so it for is, a, something that didn't happen. Is that how the game always ends or is there a no. round limit? Also? Yeah, there's a round limit. So the, 
the track will have, I think, three combat phases, three conflict phases, and then two gods will merge. Maybe maybe four, something like that. And then two gods will merge, the bottom two. Even in a five-player game, bottom two will merge. And then there's basically, I want to say, two more conflict phases. And after that, there's like a red portion on this, uh, the devotion track. Anybody that's in the red portion still is, they're dead. They're removed. All their stuff's off the board. They're out. Player elimination, essentially. Um, Which we thought was going to happen. And it could happen that you just lose. You all lose. That could happen in the game. Everyone. (laughs) Everybody's just, the game's over, nobody won. And you just go, well, I had more devotion, I win. Um, But I think that's probably not going to happen a lot. And then if there are some players left, maybe in a five-player game, three players are left, there's a little more and then one final conflict. Yeah. So I thought all of that game shape was cool. Man, that sounds, it sounds fascinating. I think like, I want to try it. I think for me, what it's going to come down to is like the fogginess I feel on the board. Yeah. And then also just like how much I, I guess how annoying I find questionable like rules interactions too. Because I really hate when a game forces you to like audit what other people are kind of like doing. Oh, um, yeah, and, and say, like, know, okay, well, hold know. on, you can't do that. That's yeah. Not, yeah, like, that's not fun. Like, these kind of big miniature games do seem kind of yeah prone to that, right? Just be- And just because of all the ways the different powers interact. That was very, in my play, I think I've only played Rising Sun once, but that was very much my experience, where, like, the god powers, whatever they were called, they were insanely huge and really confusing, and right. that made it not fun. Um I also didn't love the battle system in Rising Sun, but it worked better here. So I think of the three, this is my favorite. Cool. Because it's kind of... I love the drafting in Blood Rage, but I find that when I play it, I really do like feel a rage in my body. Like The area control of it makes me really angry and worked up, and like I don't always love that, you know? Uh, I was really hoping to love Rising Sun because it's supposed to be kind of like... Negotiation. You know, yeah, like diplomacy, yeah. which is one of my favorite games that I never get to play. Um, but I think that Ankh kind of is the sweet spot for me in terms of the way that the game flows, the simplicity of it, and it's, it seems pretty nice. It sounds fun, and, and I think, like, when, when you said, like, the five-player game has the bottom two merging, yeah. like, that just sounds like a really cool, fun, right? like, social experience for, like, a big game. Yeah. You know, maybe you're having yeah. some beers and just, like, not try harding too much and yeah. it just seems like that would be totally. a great time yeah uh, if, if you know if if the game can kind of like get out of its way my yeah. gut tells me that like three and four players is the sweet spot yeah that's coming off of one play so you know take that yeah. green salt. but um five could be a long time but if you're experienced yeah like i said the turn structure is pretty simple and so yeah could zoom along yeah cool mm-hmm well, that is our, uh, I guess, impression, Paul's impression yeah. Yeah. of Ankh. Um, I did want to bring up one other recent play I had. Have Paul, have you played Sagrada? Yeah. Are you familiar? I owned Sagrada for a period of time, and uh, it has a mechanism in it that I really am drawn to, which is kind of the the variability of scoring. Yeah. Um, didn't end up loving it. It's not in the collection anymore, but... Yeah, so... Uh, this is a game probably uh, many people who listen to this podcast would already be familiar with, but if not, it is 
uh, an abstract dice drafting and placement game mm-hmm. uh, about building your own kind of personal stained glass in front of you. Um, and it has this really fun production touch where you, you have like the stained glass template. Um, you get uh, a kind of randomly dealt a pattern card of uh, you know what color of die you need to place where and what numbers in some other places. And you kind of slide it into the template. And then when you draft die throughout the game, you actually like put them in. And it's like a really satisfying, well-produced game yeah. that looks great on the table. Definitely looks good on the table. Uh, so we had, so uh, my wife and I had a friend over recently, played a couple of games. We started off with Hey, That's My Fish, mm-hmm. one of my favorites, yeah. uh, especially for, you know, uh, less experienced gamers, I guess I'll say, just because it's so much like checkers right it's just like there's no rules around uh yeah and and instantly understandable but still really fun and engaging for me um so we did that that was a big hit uh except i did the thing i always do because (laughs) i i like can't help yourself so i played it on i played it a lot online i was like this is the best game ever i'm gonna buy it and i like get it yeah i'm like all right let's play and i like have to like build the board oh, like, yeah. this is the worst like i yeah it takes forever i tried to 3d print like a like a thing for it at one point to like hold the pieces it never, never came out but for, maybe I will for whatever it. reason i've done this like twice where i start like putting the tiles up and i'm like i shouldn't see these so i start putting them face down oh, no. <laughs> and then i get like halfway through and i'm like this is a i have to idea. put these all over <laughs> <laughs> I just so that's what i did that's anyway, bad that aside uh we played sagrada um and you know it's it's this really fun game i think uh that fits like right in with a game like azul yeah um and i just think it's such it's it's weird because like it's such a well-designed game to me that it's really difficult for me to like critique any of the decisions like i Mm -hmm. love how simple the rules are you basically can't put a color die next to another one of the same color or number next to the same number um and you're drafting die basically in a little snake draft which is a, a drafting little format that i yeah, i love sure. near and dear to my heart i think it's a, such an easy and intuitive mm-hmm. way to balance a draft um and then there are different tool cards you're only mm-hmm. going to play with three out of like 12 in the base game yeah. so there's always not only do you have variability in the pattern you get there's variability in the tools you know, these allow you to break the game rule in some way. Like maybe you can move a die next to another one of the same color, you know, yeah. uh, spending some resources, uh, you which you'll have a limited amount, like four to six of these resources at the beginning of the game. Um, and then once a tool is used, it, it, it costs one the first time exactly. and two. And those are points you're paying. Yeah, you're paying points. So I like that. I love trade-offs and yeah. such a straightforward trade-off like that. It creates really interesting decisions. Yeah. Uh, and then I get to the end of the game. You know, we count up our points, and I always, I always like left like even though it's like nothing <laughs> like like there's like I there's nothing I can really critique it for. Yeah. But for some reason, I'm just like left a little bit wanting at mm-hmm. the end of my plays. Yeah. And I I don't know. I feel like maybe sometimes it comes down just like a little bit too much to like what the last dies pulled out of the bag sure. is like whether you'll be able to complete the lucky it or right not. at the end and stuff. Yeah, I when I played it, I felt like, you know, to play it well, I had to have a really good, like, you know, court vision, essentially, <laughs> to see everything going on, like, have a plan of, of where things were going to go. 
Obviously, the dice draft will get in your way in terms of doing that. But then, again, the thing that I loved is that you have, I think, three cards telling you what you're going to score, right? And maybe you get a... Uh, you, you probably remember the ones from your... Right. Yeah, sorry. There's, so there's variable scoring <laughs> as well. I didn't even say that. Because there's, there's no base scoring. There's no, like, every game you right. get a point for whatever. Yeah. So the, the scoring cards, you'll, you'll pull three out and they'll be like, okay, you'll score two points for every set of one, a one and a two. Or you'll get a point or some amount of points for uh, having a, an entire row with no repeated numbers or something yeah, like that. Right, exactly. And so it gives you something to shoot for that's different in each game, which I love. Like Isle of Sky, I think, is the best game I that does game. that. Yeah. Because every game does feel different for that reason. Um, but they're pretty hard. Yeah. They're pretty hard to accomplish. And so you you work really hard for them and one turn of forgetting can ruin that for you. You know, where if I forget that this row had to be whatever and that die had to be a three so that this one could be a blue two specifically, then, you know, your game can fall apart. And that's not necessarily bad, but that's where I didn't love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, a lot of times like the game will put you like it is a game where you're drawing die out of the bag and you're rolling them. And there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of thinking. You're taking them out. And you're rolling. Yeah, so random yeah. color, random number. So there's a lot of thinking and, and strategically placing die in a way that's going to give yourself the most possible right. options that fits both with like what your pattern allows you to legally place and the various goals you're going for. And then like those may not come up. Yeah. And in that case, like, you know, too bad, so sad. You're going to have to do something like unoptimal sacrifice mm-hmm. scoring one yeah. way or another. Yeah. Your pick, if you can do anything at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I get that. Um, I feel like it's quick enough that I, I don't feel like there. It's too random of mm-hmm. a game. I'm sure that this is a game that has it has a feeling. I know, so I don't know for sure of a game that would have just like an incredibly high skill ceiling if mm-hmm. there was like a tournament scene. Sure, and you can look at what other people need and yeah. think about. It. I mean, you know, the AP could get very high. Yeah, it could get very high. Um, but. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, the other thing that happened in this particular session of it was we started counting up kind of our scores at the end, and it was like revealed that one player had two like fours next to each other. Yeah, which is like something that I feel like happens in this game in particular, yeah. like all the time. Because and it's not that anyone's like trying to cheat. Right. Of course, it's just like your yeah, brain's bandwidth is so tied yeah. up with like okay, I have to like match this objective and this objective and this objective and like okay, this has to be blue. I could put a four over here and then like you do something and just like without yeah. realizing you've totally. just like lost track of. of I think one the rules thing. have they say what happens right? It's like you just take it out and it's. I think I think so. There are lose like, a point or something. There, like there are like ways to do it, but it yeah. still it just feels like very yeah. very unsatisfying at the very end of the game. It's an asterisk on this one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's no, like, okay, you, you got the most points. You got the most legitimate points. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if there, the other thing that I remember disliking a little bit was if there is a base scoring, it's that each player has a card that's private to them. No one knows, which is like. You're the red yeah, person. Yeah, everyone gets one yeah. color. And so you're going to get a point for every pip in your stained glass that's on a red die. So you immediately want all the red sixes. And every time you get a red six, it's six points. Right, which is a lot It's of insane, because yeah. like a line of whatever is going to be ten. And that's six dice you had to place to get that ten points. So I felt like the strategy of the game was really driven by that and made it immediately obvious 
that you're the green person or whatever, but it didn't necessarily mean that I could stop you. Right. And there are more die in the bag than will come out over the course of the game. I think unless maybe maybe not if you're playing with the full complement of players, but like there. I think maybe that is a place that I would feel comfortable saying, like, I don't, I'm not crazy about that design decision. Sure. I guess just, you just, so you might just have more reds. You could easily play out without it, but yeah, like, there could very easily just more reds come out of the bag yeah. than greens. Yeah. Or, you know, all the greens that come out of the bag are between value one to three, and yeah. whereas, like, the reds are all sixes, sure. and that's going to make it really hard for the green player. I'm not sure that having, you know, from our kind of lens of decision space, I'm not sure that having that uh, card that tells you, right. essentially all it's telling you is like, you prioritize this you color. Have a direction, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure that makes the decision more interesting. Right. If anything, it might make it less interesting. Yeah, yeah that's probably true. I think it's a really good, you know, it's yeah. a really good family game and into like an intro game and stuff. I think it's still engaging. I play yeah, you know, I totally play. Yeah. I mean, overall, it's a it's a nitpick. It's a fun game, and one sure. I'll like happily bring out again, especially with like, uh, you know, gamers like maybe starting out on their journey into yeah. board games, or or maybe just like interested in you know, kind of like an artistic theme. Yeah, um, which which makes a big deal. And have you played any of the expansions or anything like that? I haven't. No, I, I was really tempted to almost get it again. To try the expansion, which gives you like an additional drafting board and some other stuff. But I, yeah. ultimately, I didn't think it was going to do it. Yeah, I might pick it up if I get the chance because I think that's also like the other, like this game might be, you know, it's like in the range of like a seven or eight for me. Like a very good game, very fun. It's pretty high. Yeah, high. Like I like it a lot. Yeah. I like it a lot. Um, and I, you know, I'm happy to own it. It's going to stay in the collection. But it maybe it's just like, this is going to sound weird, but it sounds, it feels like almost like in some ways like too produced where mm-hmm. the game, you know, it's like everything about it is like very nice, but like all your games are going to be very nice. And uh-huh. sometimes I like my games to be like a little less control, a little less control, yeah. like just like more range of like <clears throat> outcomes of how this play experience totally. is going to be. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, like. It, it, it's it's weird to say, but like the game, like having the potential to be like that game, like just like didn't really sure. come together that time. I know what you mean. Yeah. And then, but then sometimes you're like, that was like the best session of this game ever. Right. True. Could could be some. I feel like a game like that is more likely to make it into my like top ten because of the potential for the memorable moments, right. sessions. That makes sense. Then a game like Azul or Sagrada, yeah. which are always just like that was very nice. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was pleasant. Yeah, yeah, I know what you, I know what you mean. And, I, and some some games are a little bit overbalanced sometimes too. Where you know I've gotten rid of games from my collection because every game it was like everybody's got fifty to sixty points, no right. matter what you can conceive of doing, and that like it's just on. You realize it's like on rails. <clears throat> yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, it's too bad. And I don't know that Sagrada is like that because yeah. it's that that's definitely a game that like. Gives players the opportunity to make horrible choices, <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> for sure. So, uh, yeah, not necessarily. Not not saying that it, it's like a game that's like on rails like that way, but yeah. but yeah, just it's a, you know just always like a moderately fun, awesome game. I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I feel definitely. like I'm coming across as like very negative. Well, you it. said seven to eight, so I take yeah. that as a high recommendation. Yeah. I think for me, it's more like a six and a half to seven and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about whatever the the verbiage is on what the BGG ratings is. 
Um, you know, I, I would recommend it to people, so I think that makes yeah. it like a I think I'll go seven and a half. Good yeah. game that I would not turn down the opportunity to play. Yeah. Yeah, very strong. Very awesome. Strong. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of our conversation today. Paul, thank you so much for joining us My pleasure. on this episode of Jake and Paul Talks About yep. Games, episode two. I want to be Brendan's official lieutenant now. But yeah, you're, yeah, you're welcome anytime. Um, yeah, anytime Brendan has a baby, yeah, you're, I hope you'll... See if we can make it happen. Yeah, make it yeah. happen. Uh, do you have any final thoughts, anything to... You know, the last thing I just want to mention uh, is that I have been playing My City from Rainer Canizia, oh, yeah. and um, which, if you don't know, is a pretty cheap, like $25 to $35 legacy game, polyomino, tile-laying, you know, bingo style where everybody lays the same thing down. And it's got 24 games in the box. You're kind of meant to play uh, these chapters where it's like eight chapters of three episodes in once. So you kind of play three in a row every time. And... Real, I really didn't think it was going to be very interesting because it's so simply just, you know, here's the here's the shape, put it down, fill your board type stuff. But it gets really, really cool, really fast. And our games have been so fun and just full of, I don't know, it, it just really has been a, a huge surprise. And you're playing it at two players? I'm playing at three players. Three players. Um, it's two to four. And, you know, if you can play four, that's good, because I'm basically just throwing away components, which doesn't feel great. Um, but, the yeah, the changes in the game are really cool, and, and uh, depending on who wins each little game, you get some progress points, and most progress points will kind of win the campaign. But also, there are catch-up mechanisms built in, where if, if I lose this game, I might get a different sticker to put on my board, which helps me in the long term. And the, the, it just, it really unfolds in a pretty interesting way. It's taken a pretty big shift here about halfway through without giving anything away. There's not really big narrative. It's pretty standard city building stuff. But um, it just, everything has felt really, really fun. And like I said, the first time we played it, we did uh, three in a row. And then we went and played a different game. And then we came back and did another three in a row. And that felt like a lot. And then last night... We did three in a row and immediately did another three in a row and then played Ankh and then did another three in a row. Wow. So that's, you know, nine games of it in one session and we definitely could have kept going, but I was up too late. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that's one that I'm definitely going to try. So maybe we can uh, leave that there and, and potentially if I ever get the chance, yeah. we could come back and do it, like devote a whole Big recommendation. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Cool. All right, Paul. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Uh, if you want, we've got a Discord community that's very fun. We're playing a lot of games with people in there asynchronously uh, and occasionally live. Um, and we're on Twitter and all, all, all those good things. So thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your game. You are now exiting the decision space. Thanks for listening. Please take care and enjoy the rest of your game. Mm-hmm.